mean, I don't even know how to open a terminal. I was really hesitant when we set up Discord. Tell me about sexism. <laughs> the GDPR stuff can be the bane of my existence sometimes. Hello and welcome to this episode of Socktales. I'm your host, Matt Ford. For this episode, we are looking at the world of threat intelligence. Now, threat intelligence as described by the NCSC, so National Cybersecurity Centre, is effectively referring to the knowledge of attackers' activities. And that can be a range of uh, threat actors' motivations, technical descriptions around attackers' uh, techniques, tactics, procedures. And a lot of the time when the industry and, and we as security analysts talk about threat intelligence will often reference through to the, the infamous or famous infamous, however you want to look at it, pyramid of pain, where we look at things like the hash values, IP addresses, domain names, a fairly low down that uh, that pyramid, whereas some of those tools, tactics and, and techniques and procedures that, that I just mentioned are more towards the higher end of that pyramid. With the industry looking a lot more at a platform approach or collaboration, where do these elements of threat intelligence fit in to a modern day SOC or modern day security architecture? So for this episode, we have Jason Steer. We've got CISO at Recorded Futures. And the question I really kind of put to him as throughout this podcast is just how intelligent is threat intel? So for our interview for this episode, uh, we have a 20-year veteran of the cybersecurity industry, and he's smirking at me over the camera. And we have uh, Jason Steer, who is the CISO of the threat intelligence company Recorded Futures. Uh, Jason, welcome to Socktails. Hey, morning. Thank you for having me, Matt. And um, yeah, thank you for reminding me how old I am as well. <laughs> yeah, I do apologize for that one. But look, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for for, for coming on to, to Socktails. For those that don't necessarily know Recorded Futures or don't necessarily know uh, yourself as well, um, you know, could you give us a you know bit bit of a quick introduction to to yourself and, and Recorded Futures and what they do? Yeah, yeah, I can uh, give you the the headlines, Matt. So um, yeah, my first firewall I configured was in Hong Kong in 1997, Checkpoint 3.0A. Became a security consultant, uh, moved to the UK, uh, just done loads of firewall, VPN, load balancers, all sorts of projects like that. Moved to my first vendor in 2000 and, um, you know, I've worked for vendors ever since. I've worked, you know, from email security, web security to application security to fraud to FireEye and, you know, my, yeah, been five years at Recorded Future, you know, helping, you know, Threat intelligence, selling the value of threat intelligence to organisations who you know can get proactive with security and, and no longer be reactive. So, I'd say you know my career has really just followed the evolution of the whole security market in general. From you know I joke about this is you know, cyber security didn't exist when I started. It was just IT administration, and you know it's become this whole other thing. Cyber over the last I'm not quite sure how many years, but. It's just become a whole much more broad, significant, amazing thing since. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I remember seeing a couple of uh, presentations from uh, Graham Cluley, and and he was talking a lot about how you know antivirus back in the day was was really straightforward because the the viruses were were not malicious. It was 
it was fun. There'd be a be a you know stupid image on the screen or whatever, and that that'd be it. Now there's a there's a lot more at stake and there's a lot more at, at risk as as we've seen with the recent you know the the MGM hack Caesars. I mean, we could record this podcast at any time, and there would have been a hack in the previous past week or so that would that would have hit the news. So where does where does threat intelligence come into that? Because a lot of people, uh, myself included, until you know, past kind of four or five years, kind of viewed it more as here's an IOC, here's a hash, um, block it, it's bad. Uh, so, so where does where where has the threat intel kind of evolved to where it is now within within the industry and, and the benefits of that? No, I think you summarised the. I guess the perspective and summary of most people's experience of threat intelligence, Matt, which is it's um, stale, it's out of date by the time you receive it. Um, and the net result is you get an IOC, a file hash, you get uh, a URL that, you know, you don't know what to do with it is, you know, the questions you have is, is this relevant to my industry? Um, is this relevant to my organization, knowing the infrastructure and the footprint I have and the technologies that sit on top of that? And um, you actually end up causing more work for your teams than you actually you know, solve because you now have this, I think you call it belly gazing of you know, how much time do I investigate to go and hunt down whether this IOC is relevant or not? And I think you know that's historically how threat intelligence has been viewed, that it's it's after the fact and... Now, I'd say, you know, that, you know, for incident response, incident review, you know, after the fact analysis of IOCs and IOC sharing is great. But, you know, I think where threat intelligence has evolved to now is a much more proactive place that, you know, I think our, our clients at Recording Future really see that um, by really having to step back and, you know, think about the biggest questions that the security program really is there to solve, which is, you know, for the CISO reporting to the business, you know, what are the most likely cyber threats that face our business, our industry? How have they impacted our peers and competitors that operate in the same function that we function in? You know, what have we observed about cyber attacks on them that have been successful or haven't or have been you know, stopped? And you know, how does that compare to what we do in our security program? You know, do we have gaps? Do we have areas that are exposed that we need to invest in? So, you know, I think you know it really boils down to two things: you know, who and why. Who would want to target our business, and why would they target us? And, and then, you know, the how. So, I think you know where Recorded Future have really stepped up in my five years here is is looking at you know sharing the IOCs for campaigns of threat actors who do target your industry to really figure out and. You know, I mean, we're a big fan of MITRE ATT&CK T-codes is now literally laying out the MITRE ATT&CK T-codes and, and we do this ourselves in our team as well is that there's no, uh, we're, we're better than you. you know, we use those MITRE ATT&CK T-codes to look for gaps in our security program and think about, do we mitigate them? Do we need to buy new technology? Can we fix that with policy? And literally continuing to find the holes and now, I think you know, the realization for everyone is that cybersecurity is not a sex job. It's constantly looking at policy, process, and tool configuration every single week. And the, net, the, the harsh reality is that a vast amount of things like the ransomware events that we see are just gaps in detection, gaps in monitoring, gaps in patching, gaps in security that... No, not all a human error, but you know, a lot of it is gaps in process because there's so many moving parts today. 
Yeah, it's it, it's interesting you you kind of touched on MITRE as well. I mean, this is uh, MITRE reports came out recently as well. So LinkedIn is going mad at the moment, as you've probably seen. Um, but we we see a lot of uh, a lot of people in the industry that are, are using that as that benchmark now. They're being able to map various different elements towards that and, and getting those TTPs and and what they're doing. And I think the the relevance aspect of what you talk about there is really key from from a threat intel side. What is going on in my industry? That I'm working in. Am I? Do I? Am I working in a legal firm? What's What's going on with the other legal firms in the industry? Are certain people being attacked? What do we need to do from a mitigation perspective? Um, and 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 I think that's uh, you know again from from my view and where I've seen that's really kind of stepped up as you say over the past few years from a threat intel intel perspective um, for for sure. Um, from um, it's, again, you know, looking at. Uh, some of the, the the information that comes out there, you know, we kind of touched on it's not just kind of IOCs and, and IP addresses and, and hash files and everything else. There's a lot more to it when you're talking about some of the gaps and the risk mitigation aspect. Um, you know, where are we seeing some enhancements, I guess, maybe on things like brand, you know, brand reputation or kind of stepping out a little bit from the 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 it i'll say an it bubble we're looking more kind of a gsoc i mean certainly for you know the company i work with we get emails come through from a geopolitical perspective oh there's a there's something going on in london extinction rebellion are in london just make sure you're you're not in the air or if you are so we we're kind of seeing that industry expand again do you think that's fair is that is that something that you're seeing as well very much so and i think <clears throat> with you know the Ukraine uh, war, the Russian invasion, you know I think you know to touch on the geopolitical aspect. Um, you know, three years ago we would have client conversations about geopolitical risk, and I think a lot of businesses wouldn't really see the connection between cyber, geopolitical, geopolitical, and, and kinetic impact. Whereas I think you know the Ukrainian invasion, unfortunately, has has highlighted that there is some interconnectedness between the you know, geopolitical campaigns and cyber is just one element of the overall um playbook that you know nations use now for for taking out countries or you know impacting countries so and i think unfortunately the ukrainian event has actually helped raise awareness that the geopolitical stage really does influence cyber operations in businesses around the world and you know I've spoken to two CISOs whose infrastructure was taken over by the Russian government in the last three months because it deemed critical infrastructure. Now, I'm not sure many organisations would have that in their incident response plan or program, you know, with with policies. So there's, a, there's continuing, you know, that theme of you know you have to expect the unexpected to some extent. And um, to come back to the brands. You know, brand requirements for cybersecurity. I mean, it really is. I would say, you know, some pretty simple things that we would consider, you know, foundations of threat intelligence. You know, do we have credentials on the internet that are exposed? You know, can we see usernames and passwords? You know, we know employees will inevitably recycle usernames and passwords because it's easy, and um, you know, that's that's just the challenge of business. So. You have to prepare for that. And you know, those become really just simple things to go and look for every day on databases and data leaks. You know, what what do we see exposed that relate to our employees? And um, you know, things like you know, registration of uh, domains that mimic your brands, um, SSL certificates that you know, use your brands in their registration as well. You know, 
these are criminals spending money to actually spin up infrastructure. So you know, th this becomes a great opportunity to identify that earlier in the kill chain to actually hopefully you know, mitigate the impact before a phishing campaign comes out. And you know, some of the things we've been doing, which really quite exciting that we've been working on, have become things like logo detection that we've been doing for the last 18 months, where you know, we just had a logo detection this week, Matt, where um, one of our... Um, university training teams you know uh, testing a third-party partner and you know they'd spun up a website using our logo um before they informed us so you know actually we we notified them that the site had been set up before they were aware so um it's um you know we're pre-detecting the business that of stuff that's happening which is great and i think this becomes the opportunity to be proactive rather than reactive and you know then the final part you know i think which is where you know the connection with palo alto and other you know saw tools becomes to go the final mile which is you know how do i automate playbooks to you know, configure my email gateway my web gateway to actually block the these domains that you know could be used in phishing campaigns so that you know employees don't even need to go there if they wanted to and they fell for it they wouldn't actually be able to go there either and those comfort pages, those learning opportunities become you know, able to be embedded much more into your employees. Yeah, I, you 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 made some great points there. I mean, we see a lot. You, you talked about leak credentials. You know, we see credentials hard coded into code in GitHub, for example, or or we see leaks into uh, EC2 uh, buckets, AWS, something along those kind of lines. And and there's some technologies out there that help prevent against some of that. Again, kind of going back to what you were saying about. The risk mitigation and knowing where some of those some of those gaps are and, and knowing where you can get some of the the technology as part of part of that um and again kind of going back to what you said about the uh the the incident response plan do you think there is a certain level of maturity that you would need to have within a SOC in order to utilize threat intel or is it a, not necessarily a case of anybody can use it at any time do you think do you think there's a there's a, there's a smirk there. I know this is an audio, an audio podcast, but there is a smirk there on the camera. There is a smirk. And I think if you actually step back, you know, I've spoken to so many security operation centers uh, in my five years here, is the challenges they have, which is um, you know, retention of talent. Uh, and I think more importantly is consistency of decision-making in the SOC. You know, I, the one I remember that stands out in my mind the most of and a bad decision was um, the target uh, data breach back in, I think, 2013, 14, where an analyst in the SOC you know, tagged a piece of uh, malware as uh, commodity malware and no, no further action needed. You know, the, the, yeah, the story you know, goes off you know, crazy from there, but the difficulty we have is you know, we've got Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3 analysts, and they've got playbooks that they use, but the difficulty is... You know, it's it's like a jigsaw. You know, you've got an alert, you've got a domain, you've got a URL, you've got a hash, you've got the bigger picture. And the the reason I like using the jigsaw analogy is you now you've got twenty pieces of data, and you're trying to make a picture with fifty parts. Now you don't have context of the user and the department and the device they use and why they use that device. Now where are they operating from? Isn't that you don't ever have full context and Net result is that people will make incorrect decisions on a regular basis because they don't have the skills or experience necessarily to put the whole picture together. 
and you have a choice. You know, you either escalate it to tier two or tier three analyst, or you think you go with the right decision and say, well, I think it's benign. And you now if you're working in a sock in Doncaster at three in the morning and you're trying to make that decision in 10 minutes, you don't necessarily know that you're going to make the deci- that right decision every time. And I think, you know, that's the power of threat intelligence for me in security operations is it's not just your data that's sitting in there anymore. You've got not just open source intelligence, but you've got, you know, intelligence that, you know, we've got some of the largest organizations in the world who put this into their playbook so that you don't have to make that decision anymore. And you use the risk scoring uh, capabilities, you know, to help, use that as part of your decision making process now and i've seen clients go from 15 minutes per event to less than five minutes so i feel you know that's a huge step up for security operation centers to use you know actionable intelligence that you know does does make a difference do you find there's any other challenges when you have uh companies that you're speaking to that outsource some of their SOC as well to to manage service providers um, again, certainly in the role that I'm in, I speak to a lot of people that, that, that work in a SOC, and sometimes there's two or three of them. Sometimes the the, the environment that they've got doesn't sustain the fact that, that they can use or have an internal SOC, so they outsource a lot of that. And then there's some communication between between the two. Do you see any additional challenges in that kind of uh, situation? Or again, kind of going back to what you were saying just now about just making sure that the data is right and the context is right and, and, and the processes are right in that regard? I think you know the 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 great opportunity and challenge for threat intelligence more broadly, Matt, is you know, organizations who haven't used threat intelligence before don't necessarily know where to start their journey. And you know, I think you know, from talking to so many clients over the years, no organization is the same as any other. And you know, where an organization chooses to start its journey on in threat intelligence, you know, it does vary dramatically because of of the risks, the industries, the technologies, even as simple as you know, what does the CEO think is important to focus on right now? And you know, five years ago, when I joined, you know, some of the projects we would do were very much focused on, well, the CEO, CEO wants to know, do we have any exposures of my name and our products on the dark web? You know, as simple as that. And you know, some of it can be folly and ego, not necessarily related to business risks. So and I, I think that becomes the challenge is you know, it, we can be prescriptive and vendors can be, be prescriptive, but the difficulty you end up with is what you think the client needs and what the client actually needs, and they can be quite different. And you probably know that in your role as well. I, I've seen that for many, many years. Yeah, it's often often a disconnect there. And sometimes there's a, there's a disconnect from the even the C-suite level, You know, either the, the CEO, CISO, really down to what the team and the SOC uh, are wanting or what they can do, what they can achieve, uh, what tools they might be able to to use in order to do that. So that's something that we we see quite a lot. Certainly, again, you know, in the conversations that I'm having with a uh, with a with a lot of customers. Um, the I, I, I've managed to get what like half an hour in before we start talking about AI. But with a lot of what we've seen within the industry and a lot of what we're seeing now with things like NLP, the natural language processing, large language models, AI has expa- has exploded, not just chat GTP and everything else that's come off the back of that. We're seeing a lot now within the industry with various different products that are adding this into that. Where do you see the, the, the benefits of AI and what we've got at the moment? And I know there's some 
different definitions from people on what AI is. Where do you see that <clears throat> being able to be used and, and enhancing what's going on within the threat intelligence community and industry? Oh, so exciting, you know, quite honestly. You know, I think, you know, it's so easy to focus on the negative in cybersecurity. And, you know, that is probably one of my bugbears now is that we're constantly looking for the negatives and, you know, we should be focusing more on the positives, quite honestly. Um, they've just for simple things like employee productivity, I was writing a job description the other day and I put it into open AI to write the job description and you know, that saved me an hour of work. So there's huge benefits. And when you apply that to threat intelligence, at recording future, we're, we're well on the journey of using threat intelligence to an AI to write summaries of you know risks and threats right now for our clients so on every intelligence card that you pull up from our platform for example there is the pre-created text by the ai engine in the back end that saves an analyst having to spend half an hour writing a report you know going back to a previous state statement about SOC analysts and what they do how much time do they spend writing reports and getting the context and the syntax and the spelling and everything else right, you know, that's not what they're really there for. Their job is to review incidents and decide what needs fixing, what doesn't. If we can take some of that low-hanging fruit of report writing every single day, you know, what is this vulnerability? Who is this threat actor? What is this ransomware group? And have AI write up a, a human-readable format summary that you know, makes 95% sense. You know, that's huge. You know, that's you know that's already what we're doing to help clients. But you know, right now, I'm probably not allowed to say too much. But we're literally trying to create a virtual cyber technology officer that's AI based that you can give it tasks inside our platform to say, go and update my watch list to look for vulnerabilities X, Y, and Z, or please go and write me a report about um, the clock move it uh, vulnerability. And the impact of you know, ransomware groups in the past three months. So those are things that you know we're looking to embrace more and more to free up analysts to actually have time to get on with doing their job, which is you know, defending the business and getting through stuff. Yeah, in a lot of the conversations we have, again, within my role, I talk a lot about the automation within a SOC. And we get some feedback from the SOC analysts going, you're going to take, take my jobs away. It's like, no, 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 what we're looking at doing... <laughs> is trying to make sure that a lot of the mundane stuff that that you do, we can automate that so you can go on and do the proper stuff. And it sounds quite similar. We have, interesting, you were talking about the job description. Uh, one of my kids is looking at university for, for next year um, and was really struggling with his personal statement this weekend. I was like, put something in chat GDP. <laughs> and he starts, started writing out his personal statement for, for, for university. Um, I won't say which university is applying for in case they get wind of that and they don't like it, but it does it does kind of help them to to create that. And when we see uh, when we see um, things that are in the news, you know, whether it's in mainstream, so so it's going to be news at ten, or whether it's in the tech news and tech industry, you're going to have senior people within the business come down in your stock and go, "Tell me about this. It is this relevant to us? Do we have a threat associated with this?" And if you're having to pull all that information out manually and put something together that's accurate, you're right. That's going to take a long period of time. If you can have some kind of virtual assistant to say, right, tell me all about this, it, 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 literally that, and it just pulls back all the information, that's that's really powerful. So I, I think you're right. I think there's some concern for AI in the business, but I think a lot of the 
uh, a lot of the industry leaders are really trying to take take the ball by the horns um, and, and be able to do something similar to to what you're talking about there for sure. Yeah, I mean, we we've had some robust discussions internally about the use of AI and its applications and you know the risks, but. Um, like everyone is it's something new that we've got to figure out and embrace and you know i observe many organizations bl- blanket just blocking it and we all know that when you do something as you know as as binary as that that all you do is push it away onto people to do it on personal devices where you've got no observation or ability to understand people using it either and you know i think now, operating in such extremes, unfortunately, actually makes the job harder rather than easier. And you know, we've got to tentatively dip our toes into the water and you know, explore rather than just ban because you know, it's not going away. Yeah, I agree. We've we've seen you know a lot of the EDR tools within within the industry, including the one I work with, that are adding that that element into. So when you've got a particular incident or particular alert, you can just write out something in 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 English in a human readable form. Other languages are available, but to be able to say right, go and go and show me what's going on here. And we saw the Microsoft breach recently, where a lot of information was put into um, uh, in into uh, AI kind of language models, and there was some leakage and some breaching there. So there needs to be that control. And as you say, if you almost kind of push it underground. Then you don't have that control. You don't have that that ability to do that. I've seen a lot of um, kind of uh, cloud security providers as well now adding things like ChatGTP to their application element, so they can check from a DLP perspective what's being put up in there. So you're still allowing your staff to use it, but you're still having that element of security control and monitoring. And I think I think that's really really key to what we're doing with with AI and adding it into to the way the industry is going. Yeah, I, you know, that Microsoft event, you know, in the story and the reading up of, you know, the post event analysis is so fascinating. And, you know, whether you're SolarWinds or FireEye or Microsoft, you know, I think you know, these these types of events really are the most capable, most motivated threat actors who, when they have time, they have intent and capability. You know, the, the bit that struck me on that, piece of the report was that you know that information from the memory dump you know was moved from a air-gapped isolated network back across into a production system which gave the threat actor the opportunity to examine and you know, looking at microsoft report there is you no know, the gap in the policy was you know that movement of the files from air gapped to, to a, a less secure environment which you know they'll fix and they i think they have fixed but you no, know, so seems like such a simple thing to move, to to do the you know, the back end work, in the, and that was the opportunity for a threat actor. And yeah, you know, quite just quite amazing that someone has the time, intent, capability, just to do all of that and remain unspotted. I, two key words there, I think, intent and capability, and and that's what we're seeing. We can't underestimate the, these uh, malicious threat groups with with what they're capable of. Um, and the money they make, right? We saw we saw Caesars recently just hand over fifteen million, like it was. Well, I mean, there was talks that they're they're roughly thirty million a day in profit in those casinos. So fifteen million is is chump change for them. But but there's a huge amount of motivation there for threat actors to go and do that. And by the looks of it, it was kept quiet until something happened with MGM. 
which, you know, not casting aspersions on anything to do with Black Hat and Defcon, but they were there two weeks beforehand. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting to see there what the what what the, the the threat groups are doing, and it goes back a little bit to, I think, what you were saying about some of the brand recognition as well, and the the difference between threat actors looking at the low hanging fruit, to use that cliche, or targeting you as a business, and you need to be able to know the difference. I've worked for for an insurance company for a couple of years, and we made sure that we were looking at those various different um, homographic names. So we could register domain names that were very similar to the so to try and kind of kind of fend off some of that. I had a real struggle across the rest of the business. They were like, "Why are we spending 10, 10 quid on this domain?" It's like because because you're going to be spending a lot more if anything happens off the back of it. It was a bit of a struggle to get that to get that done. So that kind of intent and capability, um, yeah, can't can't be underestimated. I think from a threat actor perspective, for sure. No, it's not. But you know, I think we've we've somehow drifted to the conversation of ransomware. But you know, <laughs> <Always the, not. laughs> it's such a big conversation, and you know, I think the the big challenge that there is no silver bullet to solving ransomware is you know, every business you know, literally has security debt, and you know there are gaps in every business's detection, monitoring, logging. By the nature of being a business, that moves quickly and it's just so hard you know i think you know that's the reality is no matter how big or small or how secure you are you know, everyone has gaps and they ransomware groups are just viciously successful at exploiting any gap in detection and you know, that's hard to explain i think to business that you know it, it could happen to us any day any week and you know how how do you you know how do you deal with that yeah it's it's tough, and um, you know, I know we we're kind of coming up fairly towards the end of the end of the podcast, and I'll ask for your for Sock's sake um, shortly. But it, recently, um, saw you did a webinar on on threat intel, and and with a little bit of a focus on kind of like the the CNI, the critical national infrastructure. Is there anything that that you see that really worries you at the moment? Is a is a real genuine concern from that perspective? Um, not necessarily give you sleepless nights. I'm not going to ask a CISO what keeps him up. Yeah. Because that's really cliche. But is yeah. there is there anything that really kind of generally worries you at, at, at the moment in that regard? I think, you know, critical national infrastructure is 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 really torn. You know, you talk to people who manage CNI, and I've, I've been fortunate enough to talk to many, is the systems and the investment in those systems is really inadequate and they're running incredibly old technology stacks that either can't be patched or are patched in such a way that it's really hard to test and to validate and ever know and you know, when you a simple thing like a ping to a host on an industrial control system network brings it down makes you realize just how fragile these systems are and you know as a defender just how difficult it is and um you know i think that that's the bit that genuinely concerns me is the significant investment that needs to happen to 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 deal with the reality that organizations are becoming much more digital and remote and you know how do you manage these systems remotely how do you monitor them remotely which means inevitably they have to connect to a network that is on someone's enterprise network as well and now, I think that that's the collision which you know we see regularly now with clients who operate in the ICS spaces, threat actors who know that these fragile systems actually connect some way through an enterprise network and are looking for those entry points. Mm. And and 
it's it's the pressure points to get payment right. I remember was it I think it was last year one of the um, uh, utilities companies in in the UK. I'll, I'll not narrow it down any more than that. But there were some screenshots of of some of their control systems that were posted on on the dark web as uh, as proof that this particular group had got access to it and they could change pressure levels. They could. It was just like this is this is really serious stuff if they want to be able to go and and do something. So yeah, I think there's a lot we need to do in that. And that control aspect. Look, just looking at the time again, I know you uh, you're fairly short on time. So again, appreciate your uh, your time on on the podcast. Uh, it's been great talking to you. What we normally do towards the end is we have the for sock sake section, where we kind of ask our guests: Is there anything either within what you're doing now, or within your within your past, within the IT industry that has happened that you've seen that you've done that's really made you kind of smack your head on the desk? and shout <laughs> for, for, for sake. uh yeah i probably didn't say uh sock sake i probably said <laughs> stronger quite honestly but um there's two things that you know in my last what 21 months of being CISO that you know stick out to me and um it was the it was week one of me being appointed CISO to replace my my previous boss gavin and um that was the week of the uh, russians invading ukraine and um, our CEO put out a tweet saying uh, F-U-C-K Putin. And um, I can just remember reading it. And I had about 200 people in the company say, what do you think about that? How do you feel about that? Is that, um, well, yeah, it's pretty scary. You know, obviously, we don't want Russia coming after us. And um, it just it made me you know, genuinely quite nervous and concerned to you know what would be the repercussions of us being so publicly vocal you know, in support of Ukraine. And you know, it took me a long time to get my head around it, to realise actually you know, what we do for the Ukrainian government and still do is really cool and very, very you know, part of my mission personally to do my job. But you know that terrified me. And um, connected to that, 10 months later, the Russian Deputy Foreign Minister did an interview with the uh, Russian news agency TASS and said, you know, there's three companies in the world that are helping the Ukrainian government you know, digitally do things well. Microsoft was one, Amazon was one, and Recorded Future was the third. So, you know, again, we're in great company, you know, great to be mentioned in those glowing terms in that regard. However, net result for me is we have to genuinely prepare for a motivated threat actor who may be russian who wants to target us because of you know, what we do and continue to do so those were two that genuinely did help me not sleep well for a couple of nights when i was you know, processing what do we do i know as my boss would have said at the time is now that we know this what do we do differently and um final one which is a much more funny story but equally concerning um, you know, considering we're a threat intelligence company uh, one of our third-party suppliers um, turned up customer databases for sale on a on a dark web forum, and um, they hadn't told us yet. So I I remember having to broker some conference calls and emails and started with, um, "Hi guys, um, we just found client databases of yours referencing Recorded Future for sale." Um, do you know anything about it? What can we do to help? And the net result back was, oh, yeah, it happened a few months ago. We're still finalizing the incident response report and review, and we'll let you know once uh, we've got the actual findings to share with you. And um, you can imagine my response, which was, 
do you not think that it's appropriate to share this type of information more more quickly? Because waiting for the legal team to you know release it and finalize it and approve it and make sure we know about it at that point, maybe it's way too late. So um, net result is no. I don't think we actually partner with this organization anymore. But again, is the harsh reality of doing business online, Matt, which is organizations get breached all the time, but it's not the security team who actually own the communications anymore. And you know, we're entirely beholden to marketing, PR, and legal teams to decide the timelines. And the only way, you know, this may sound like a cheesy pitch, but it's not, is they you know, having to go and do this intelligence searching yourself for proof of compromise is really the only way you can find any evidence to to find out you know whether we're, it could be one of your business partners that you rely on next week next month next year yeah i mean as for sock sites go both of those are, are probably up there with some of the best we've had on the podcast actually <laughs> upsetting the russians during a war uh, yeah. and, and having stuff leaked online that that your third party doesn't tell you about for two or three months which is uh which i think is going to be a concern for a lot of people but um Look, just want to get, say again, look, Jason, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know you're busy um, and I know you need to nip off now to, to go and see a client. So, um, so yeah, look, thank you very much for uh, for being on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure, Matt. Thank you for having me. And um, yeah, hopefully uh, I'll get invited back at some point in the future. I'm sure that will happen. Thank you, Jason. Thank you.